Get used to the mantra, all gas, no brake. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Turn on the Jets podcast. I'm your host, Will Parkinson, at WillPaw11 on Twitter. Joined by two uh, special guests, one of TOJ and one of uh, WFAN's own Evan Roberts. You know, Evan and uh, Evan Carden, two seven weekdays, diehard Nets and Jets guys. So we'll, we'll get started. And Steven Zantz, Turn on the Jets um, at SAMS on, uh, on Twitter. Evan, how are you doing today? I am X. I'm ready for this draft. Let's go. Yeah, no, we're uh, fired up. Steven, how are we doing? Doing great, just like Evan. I, I want to get this draft over with, and we could start the Zach Wilson era. <laughs> yeah, no, it'll be it'll be an exciting time. Um, and you know, as Jets fans know, we kind of talked about. You know, Evan, I mean, uh, Zach Wilson looks like the picket too is pretty much locked in 100 percent at this point. He's got him. I'm talking on ESPN about you know the Jets coaching staff, so it's kind of all but locked in. Probably worst kept secret during the draft. But I'll start with what are your thoughts on Wilson as a as a prospect and um, how excited are you on a scale maybe one to ten about his uh, you know him potentially being Jet. I'm excited, but there's this mixed feeling of disappointment because we did this dance three years ago. I mean, let's let's not forget three years ago, and it was a little bit different in terms of we went into an NFL draft not knowing for sure who we were going to draft a quarterback. I wanted Sam Darnold. I think a lot of us wanted Sam Darnold, but when they made that pick, there was still that, would they draft Josh Allen? Would they draft Josh Rosen? You kind of knew Baker Mayfield was going number one. And so there was this excitement that Sam's our guy. And I agree with the decision to move on from him. I want to make that clear. And I am excited about Zach Wilson. And from what I've seen, and we all have to be fair about what we've seen, what we've seen is YouTube clips. What we've seen is his pro day. How much BYU was any of us watching? Some, maybe a lot. Me personally, not that much. But there's this feeling of what could have been with Sam. And so I'm excited about Zach Wilson. I do think they're making the right decision. But we got, we had this same excitement three years ago. And quite frankly, I am sick and tired of being excited every three, four, five years for our next franchise quarterback. That's nothing against Zach Wilson. I think he's got a chance to be that franchise quarterback, but there is a part of me that's still kind of dealing with the disappointment that it didn't work out with Sam Darnold three years ago is not that long ago. And that's where we were all sitting excited about Sam being our franchise quarterback. Yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, everyone knows I'm, I've defended Sam tirelessly and I've kind of just accepted the reality at this point that it's, it was the right thing to do to move on and it'll be better for Sam. I think Zach Wilson's a really exciting prospect. Obviously there's, you know, somewhat scary aspects to his game in terms of as flashy and risky as you play, it can translate great. And if you're schemed the right way, if your town around you plays up to par and you make the right decisions, you're a superstar, right? Mahomes is really risky with the way he plays, but yep. also could go the other way. And Sam was super risky and Josh Allen's super risky and all these guys. And there's just the highs and lows that it's going to be interesting. But look, the coaching staff, I don't know the last time we had an offensive coordinator, people were like pissed that the Jets actually got. Like when's the last, I don't, even <laughs> like even when they were good in 09, like 2010, it's not like Schottenheimer, everyone's like, I need Brian Schottenheimer as my offensive coordinator. Right. So it's interesting. You, you nailed it though. And that's, that's a part of where there is optimism because this is the first time, I mean, this may sound crazy, but this is the first time since Parcells where there is this universal, this was the right hire. And I'm not just talking about coach Sala. You mentioned it with Mike LaFleur, like a coaching staff that we trust. And I think a part of why Sam failed 
and I know you've defended him a lot. I've defended him a lot, even though it was right to move on from him, was they didn't have the right coaching staff around them. So one of the things that excites me about Zach Wilson is that I think Mike LaFleur will do a good job of maybe hiding some of the rookie mistakes that a quarterback will normally make. But this is an exciting time because of the coaching. You nailed it. We've been screaming about this for years as Jet fans, and we had to sit through the Adam Gase era. And it feels like we're in the complete opposite world of competence. And that part makes me feel better about a young quarterback prospect coming into the NFL. Yeah, no, that's what I was going to, I wanted to ask you because you, you've gotten a chance to talk to Salah at the interview. You guys did a great job with them. And um, I thought you got a lot of stories out of them that the more in-depth stories that I know he told the 9-11 thing and to a lot of people, but I thought you got a lot out of them. What were your, were your impressions as strong as maybe the rest of the fan base? And just, I feel like everyone I speak to, on the podcast, even Steve Weish has mentioned this multiple times. He walks in the room and you just feel this energy. You're like, this guy is like that dude. Like, I want to follow him. Like, is that the impression you got or how did yeah. that kind of come across? It, 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 it's, it, it exudes it. He exudes it. And look, I also understand that a lot of coaches are hired every year. There's excitement about a select few of them. And some of them don't turn out to be great head coaches. I fully understand that. We all have to understand that. But in the early going, he exudes confidence. He exudes competence, which I don't think the Jets have had in a couple of years. And he just seems like he knows what the heck he's doing. And what's I think really important is also knowing what you don't know and hiring right minds around you. And I think he did that in assembling the coaching staff that he has. Look, he's going to have to win. It's like Joe Judge on the other side with the Giants. He won his press conference. Giant fans loved it. And they had a pretty good first season. I mean, they took a the step in the right direction, but now the Giants have to really win. If they don't, they will turn on Joe Judge. And this is us in the future because year one will be a honeymoon, right? If the Jets go out and win six games, even though it's a 17-game season, don't get me started on that, we're going to say, hey, great improvement. They look confident. Yeah, we're not ready to win yet, but okay, we're moving in the right direction. But eventually, they're going to be measured on wins and losses. Right now, we have no wins and losses to measure them on. We just have, and keep this in mind, this is important. This is not a knock on Salah, but this is the reality. We are comparing him to Adam Gase. And that in itself gives him a huge plus. So we can't be jaded by the fact that we are comparing him to the worst head coach maybe we've ever seen in the franchise's history, but he does exude confidence. He exudes competence. And there's a trust that I have in him. And I think a lot of Jet fans have in him that he is literally going to be that guy we've been waiting for for a long time. Oh, the expectations have never been, I don't want to say lower, but we just watched the most unwatchable two, even at two and 14, they were the most unwatchable team I think I've ever seen where it's like after the first drive, you're like, Oh, this is going to be a disaster. They're going to be punching <laughs> the mouth. Right. And it was all about how great they practiced, even though everyone said they practiced terrible and your players talking out and all these different things. So I think for him and the Jets as a whole, Zach Wilson's in a great spot because Sam was really bad last year. And so he's in a good spot with a better offensive coordinator, more talent should produce, should at least be decent. Solid's got to follow up Adam Gase. He's just got to not be great. He wasn't crazy. This press conference here, he, he already beat that. Right. And so I just think that's, it's an interesting season where they've got an easier schedule. I'm not saying they're going to be a playoff team. I'm not sitting there being delusional, but there's no reason that between that's, I don't want to say five wins. I feel like that's low with 17 game season, but between six and eight wins, if you're just playing competitive, easy to watch football and you score points, at least it's for you, for us, like I can come out on talk on Monday and say, Oh, like at least I've saw growth in this guy or growth. Yes. In this. Not, 
last year was like every even the rookies other than Becton, everyone like didn't even look as good as you wanted. And then the second year guys regressed and Sam regressed and all, it's like, this is just brutal. But no, I, I agree with you. I think Sal is an adult in the room. And I think if you have a leader and that's the whole culture change thing, like someone's got to be there for three to four years to actually change a culture. It's not going to change overnight. So right. well, I'm interested to see kind of how that goes. All they need is competence this year, to your point. If they look competent, if they are competitive, and I, trust me, I hate setting the bar that low because this is the NFL. This is a sport where you can turn things around very quickly. So I hate to go into an NFL season saying, gee, if we win six games, everything's great. But look, we've watched such horrible football the last few years that just being competent is going to give us hope moving forward. Now, eventually, like I said, that's going to run out. You know, eventually, they're going to have to win games. But certainly in year one, assuming Zach Wilson starts, which I think we all assume he is, we don't live in a world anymore in which a veteran quarterback is going to come in and play half the season. Uh, the bar is going to be as low as it's ever been. And all we are going to need to see is competence to feel like the franchise is moving in the right direction. Yeah. And Evan, I think one of the biggest things that's being overstated is that the GM and the head coach are actually in alignment. I think this is the first time since Tannenbaum hired Rex where I feel like they see eye to eye. They're making decisions that they both agree with and actually are going to have the same philosophy when it comes to evaluating players, bringing guys in as free agents, and really just the overall you know, culture within the building. And I think that's just something that we really can't overstate. 100%. I mean, it really started, like you said, when they got rid of Tannenbaum and brought in John Idzik, who it felt was setting Rex Ryan up to fail. And it almost created this cycle of not having a GM and a head coach with that same view. Now, look, one of the reasons I'm very excited about the draft is because Joe Douglas has still has a lot to prove. I mean, let, let's be honest about this. It's one thing to turn Jamal Adams into a lot of draft picks, which looks great right now. At first it bothered me because I don't like developing a young player, having him become a star and then trading him. Call me crazy, but he got a lot back. Now you've got to turn those lottery tickets into something. And that's a part of why I look at this draft, even though we know what's happening with Zach Wilson at the top, it's going to have to now cash out. So I have trust in Joe Douglas, but he has a lot to prove. And you're right. You know, we watched Adam Gase get pissed off at the GM for signing guys he didn't want. I mean, you can't ask for more trouble than that. And so it is good now that there is a head coach and a general manager that at least thinks the same way. Works out or not works out, we'll find out together. But at least it appears they're on the same page and – Again, this is a part of our bar being so low. <laughs> that <laughs> itself is a victory for us. Two and 14 will do that to you. That's, that's just really what it comes down to. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> speaking of the draft, and obviously we talked about Zach Wilson. It seems like it's an ink already. But I'm just curious, who's one player that you really have your eye on that you would love the team to take with one of the other picks, you know, at a position of need? Or maybe you just really love the player and you just would want him on this team? Players, I would tell you are not going to be there with their second first round pick. That's unfortunate. Like I'll admit this for a while and I've gotten off it. I've admitted defeat. I was all in on trading for Deshaun Watson. Um, obviously everything going on off the field has certainly affected me. And also just realizing they're not going to do it has affected me. And a part of my dream scenario was, wow, there's market for Deshaun Watson is slipping. Maybe they can make this deal without trading the number two overall pick. And so now I have the vision of, wait a second, they could trade back a few slots, get one of the elite level wide receivers or get Pitts, who everybody's basically comparing to prime Rob Gronkowski. Um, 
they need a corner. Okay. So I forget it. The Watson thing, I'm off. I know they're drafting Zach Wilson. This franchise needs a corner. And I know that Darrell Revis isn't walking through that door. And so Sertain would be awesome, but he's not going to be there. So I'm kind of mixed between two things from a position of strength more than a specific player. Giving Zach Wilson more weapons, which I still think he needs more of, despite what they've done in free agency. I mean, I'm not against the Corey Davis signing, and hopefully Denzel Mims becomes a star. But I don't look at like, hey, he's got enough weapons. So one part of me says, go get me another skill position player. I don't think one of the three receivers are going to be there. Is it possible you use some of the extra chips that you have to trade up? It's possible, but it's probably not going to happen. But the other's a corner. Like, they need a corner badly. I mean, when you look at their defense, I think they'll be able to get to the quarterback. I like their defensive line. I like what Douglas has done with that. But they need a corner badly. So position-wise, I look at more weapons for Zach Wilson and a corner as, like, my priorities. But I don't know who's slipping there. I don't think any of the guys that I've been dreaming about are slipping there, which is unfortunate. But, hey, at least they've got a second first-round pick, you know. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you and, and a lot of those uh, kind of sediments. I'm of the mindset that if one of those receivers drop, if a Devontae Smith people are concerned about his size at 170 done. pounds, which done, Take or it. that or an, an edge guy drops if, you know, they lo- fall in love with – you know, I mean, you know, I don't know. There's a bunch of different guys that could be there potentially. A JOK at a Notre Dame, like they tried to sign Keanu Neal, put play Will, and all of a sudden a guy who was a consensus top 10 pick just based on whatever drops. Like you can't pass it up or a Caleb Farley at corner, right? If he drops to them, I don't care about the back problems because he was a top 10 pick for the last 18 months. Right. And all of a sudden, right? Like Douglas has proven Beckton was a huge high risk pick. Mims was a high risk. He's coming from Baylor that doesn't run a real offense, right? So right. I'm interested to see, and even the signings they've made, a Gerard Davis or a Carl Lawson, it's all potential. Um, I think that's, I'd just rather take the special talent guys and hope that if you have that much faith, and as I think we all should at this point, that Sal is the guy and LaFleur is going to be really good and Albright could be a good defensive coordinator. You take the high talent guys because that's what the best organizations do. It's what the Steelers always do, the Chiefs, yep. Patriots, right? And so the draft's weird for me because unless Elijah Vera Tucker drops, I think you should – I'd rather take guards in round three and four where it's a deep class. And guard, as good as, as bad as the Jets guards are, you can have a competent offensive line if you really can coach guys up. I don't know that you can get a Jalen Waddle, Devontae Smith, Jamar Chase, level talent. If they fall, to, they're not going to fall most likely. They're, they're, they're not. That's like, the problem. Yeah, that's the problem is then it's like you dip into that – Rondell Moore, Kadarius Tony, Elijah Moore category, where they have really high upside, but they're either hurt or really small, or you know, Kadarius Tony's case, you know, the gun stuff. I'm not really too thrilled about, but um, no, it's interesting. In terms of free agency, I just wanted to kind of ask you: Was there one move that stood out to you that you were like, "All right, like this shows a lot of progress"? Was it Lawson or Davis, or was it somebody else? It was, more under it, the radar? Of all the moves they made, Carl Lawson excited me the most because of his high end potential. Corey Davis, I was like, it wasn't a bad move by any stretch, but I guess what I have to get over is that he's a bust. Like, let's be honest about what he's been in the NFL. Now that's not our problem because we didn't draft him that high. We signed him as a free agent. It's kind of like when Leonard Williams, when we as the Jets traded Leonard Williams to the giants, they didn't have to think about where he was drafted. It's not their problem. It's what they gave up for him. So they needed to give weapons for whoever the quarterback was obviously down on Zach Wilson. So I'm not against the signing, 
but I wasn't dancing in the streets when they made a move like that because I guess I just need to get over the fact he's not as good as everyone thought he was going to be uh, when he was drafted as high as he was. So Carl Lawson was probably, of all the moves that they made, the one that excites me the most. He's young. I don't know if we've seen the best of him yet. And I think that's one of the most exciting things that you can do in free agency. Bringing in a guy, not just based on their past track record, but a guy who you think can be even better than what we've already seen. You know, and the one thing I think that was interesting too, that the Jets have not done in the past, and we can talk about this in a minute and we revisit some other stuff, but all those guys were under 25, 26 years old, maybe at 27 at the oldest. So other than, a joiner or Vinnie Curry, which are their depth pieces. And I don't think anyone's expecting them to come in and play 80 snaps a game. Um, but like Lawson's 25, Corey Davis is 26, I believe. Right. Seven. So at least they're still in their prime. Whereas Le'Veon was obviously, we should have known you, you can't take a year off of football. I missed a year through injury and it took me 18 months to get back to full strength, let alone playing in the NFL. I would have been done. Um, <laughs> Mosley's 29 now, almost 30. Right. There's all these guys they sign that just feel like you just throw money. It's like the NBA thing where you throw money or baseball, you throw money at the guy that's, you know, the starting right hander is 33 and clearly right. you give him a six year deal. As a Yankee fan, trust me, I, I know we've done that 500 <laughs> times. So, no, I, I agree with you. Carl Austin's exciting. And I think he's a kind of charismatic guy too. If, so his Instagram stuff, some of the media quotes, I know he went back at Rich a little bit in his opening press conference. I'd like <laughs> to see that stuff though. Yeah, I mean, the thing about Le'Veon Bell that was different, and and obviously it didn't work out, it was a failure, so I'll admit that, was it was kind of the same mindset of, I just want to give more weapons for my quarterback. Not that I ever thought, and I don't know if any of us thought, Le'Veon Bell was going to be the same guy prior to the holdout. It was more, let's give this young quarterback more to work with. Let's make his life easier. It didn't work. It was a failure. And it was a failure for a million reasons. One being Le'Veon Bell, one being the head coach. I don't think he ever used him correctly. But yeah, I mean, I think the key is, and this goes in any sport, and it's happened a lot more in baseball now where guys, uh, the Mets lost Zach Wheeler. Zach Wheeler wasn't paid for what he had done. He was paid for what the Phillies thought he was going to do. And that's how you have to attack free agency. Same thing in the NFL. Like, you have to get guys who are going to produce for you for the next three or four years. CJ Mosley's fascinating though, because he hasn't played football essentially in two years. So what the hell is he? Like, I, I have no idea. I mean, for the five minutes we saw him in the one game, basically we saw him play. He looked amazing. He's the best player I've ever seen. <laughs> right. <laughs> I was, was at that game. Throw. Yeah, I was there. And it felt like he was literally controlling the game because the offense could not score a touchdown, but he had a pick six and then he had the, yes. the fumble recovery. It was unbelievable. It was a, they ran, like he ran at Tampa too. He covered a deep seam from the opposite hash on John Brown. That's how he got hurt and broke up a pass. I was like, dude, that's, that's, that's ridiculous. John Brown's one of the fastest people in the league and he's just running step for step with him. But yeah, no, that was crazy. It was unbelievable. So getting to watch him play will be fascinating. Like, I don't know if he'll do that again, but you know, you almost forget he exists at this point. He's one of the, I mean, he's one of the highest paid linebackers in the league. <laughs> So yeah, I, I think he might be the highest paid middle linebacker in the league. So I would hope so. But um, I wanted to kind of transition to some more, you know, fun stuff kind of with the show and some of the New York sports kind of landscape at the moment. Um, one question I had for you, and I don't know if I'm being overly optimistic at the moment, but it feels like for the first time, probably since late 2000s, I want to say, where pretty much all the New York sports teams are either already good 
The Mets and the Knicks are both good at the moment. The Yankees and Mets look like they should be really good. I don't follow hockey as much, but Rangers and Islanders, you know, I, I'm pretty sure they're both doing decently. Um, and then obviously the Jets and Giants. Do you feel like it's kind of much more of an exciting time in New York sports, or am I getting false optimism that there's all these young guys because they've all sucked for the last 10 years for the most part? It's a combination of the two things. Like, I think we have been through such a bad period of sports in this town that anything that looks respectable maybe feels better than what it is. But look, I think the New York Yankees are a World Series contender despite their bad start. I think the New York Mets are a good team. Are they a World Series contender? I don't know. I mean, I think the Braves and the Dodgers, they'll be elite. But the Mets and the Yankees are both good. The Jets and the Giants are both moving in the right direction. I think the Giants clearly went all in this year. I mean, the Giants expect to be a playoff team. And we've talked about our expectations for our team is just to be better. And both NBA teams are on another plan. I mean, the Nets are a legitimate title contender and the Knicks have just been good for the first time since 2013. So it feels like we are having a renaissance in New York, no doubt about it. But we also have to keep in mind that it may feel a little bit better than it really is because we've dealt with such garbage over the last decade. And when you really think about the basketball was irrelevant, okay? The Nets and Knicks have essentially been, you know, till the Nets made the signings of KD and Kyrie. They made the playoffs the year before, but they weren't really that good. The Knicks have been terrible. The Mets have had their moments, but they've been inconsistent. The Yankees have been good, but not good enough. And the Giants and Jets have been a train wreck. So I think there definitely is a, a tide turning in New York. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, so I want to go back to, you know, your, your former partner. I love Craig. Don't, nothing, nothing against Craig here, but I did love you and Joe together. I listened every day, you know, from the time I started working in 2014, really all the way through you guys, you know, he, he went off on his trip to Florida to play golf. <laughs> but I'm just, <laughs> I'm just curious, what's your uh, favorite on-air memory with Joe regarding the Jets? And it could be good or bad. I have one that comes to mind, and we'll see if we see eye to eye here. Well, I'm... <laughs> I'm a positive guy. So even though there are many, many, many negative things to discuss, we did a show and I'm not sure how many people heard it because we traveled with the Jets, not with the Jets. We traveled, we followed the Jets essentially uh, during their first playoff run with Rex Ryan. And we ended up in San Diego to see Jets Chargers. We actually flew to LA and drove to San Diego because the flights were way too expensive. And guess what? The station wasn't paying for it. We were paying for it. And the one thing we agreed to do is win, lose, or draw. After the Jet Charger game, we were going to go upstairs to the radio booth and do a show in the middle of the night, whatever time that game ended. And it obviously was one of the great Jet playoff wins until the following year when they went to Foxborough and beat the Patriots. But in that moment, it was one of the great wins of all time. And we did, I don't even know, like an hour and a half show and the excitement in Joe's voice to open that show was something I've never heard before. I mean, he was, he was taunting the Charger fans, which may have been a little wrong, but was the excite, the raw, passionate excitement. I don't think I've ever seen from him, even when the Mets won the pennant, you know, in 2015. So it was a, a show I'm not sure how many people heard, but right after Jets Chargers playoff game, uh, that one sticks with me for a very long time, and it's probably my number one. Yeah, I'm definitely going to have to find that one on YouTube somewhere. <laughs> but um, my favorite personal memory was – it's not a good memory, but it's one of the funniest moments of Joe. So it was one of the worst seasons in the last decade, 2014. 
the Jets played the Broncos at MetLife Stadium, and it was just a brutal loss. And, you know, Joe went after his favorite player of all time on the Jets, Kyle Wilson. The rant he went on for about 12 minutes, he went ballistic, you know, saying that he made Vernon Golston almost look like an NFL player. He made Johnny Land Jones look like a pro bowler. And then he was saying, he's like, he could be the nicest guy in the world, but he stinks at football. <laughs> I love that rant. I've shared it with friends, like, over the years. It's, it's, it's fun on the best rant I think Joe's ever done on the Jets. It's incredible. That's a good one. He, I'll tell you, there's been some, some classic. The Manish battle, battles for me, really, just, I, I don't oh, know yeah, why. Well, I don't know, like, I mean, I know why, because I think most Jets fans would agree to some extent at this point, you know. Ice cream excluded that, you know, obviously those battles even predated pretty to that stuff. So those used to be just so funny because I was like, I can't imagine being on the opposite side of that. Just like def- trying to defend myself, knowing um, I botched pretty hard. So I don't want to go down that whole route, but that was to me, those both those, but that would used to be so entertaining. Even if you don't watch the show every day, you're like, I need to watch this on a Monday. At Monday I, it comes on. I think to your point about the Kyle Wilson rant, the more I think about it, harping on bad first round picks, I think brought out more anger than even the bad loss. Now, sometimes they can be combined like the game you're talking about, but anytime it's a guy taken in the first round sucking, I do think that always brought out the most passion from Joe. Now, for the record, he told me recently the hiring of Coach Sala was the best hire, the most optimistic he's been about a hire since Parcells. So even he's fully on board with where they're going now. So he even feels like they're in a good place. That's good because he was a big Rex guy. I know when everything kind of fell apart, he was okay with moving on from him. But, you know, that's definitely good to see because, you know, Joe is definitely not the most optimistic guy in the world. No. When it comes to Jets. I mean, he's got scars on his body. He tells us all the time. Or, well, he used to tell us. <laughs> oh, no, it's it's uh it's pretty funny just to like go back and throw some of the rants and between Joe and then you know Don on uh on the Michael K show when he starts losing his mind over something about whatever. There's just something so pure about a, a talk show and having a rant on a Monday or a, whenever a Mets loss, a Yankees loss, whatever, that I think is so much different than when people on, you know, if you're on TV every day, I just I mean you can speak to it differently, but I just think it's such like an actual genuine emotion of like you just get caught. Well, that's it. You, you just hit the word genuine. I mean, the thing about Joe is he, the Jets are his number one. Like there's, there's no debate. He's admitted that before. And so his rants against the Jets are not pre-planned. Like, you know, it's not like when you're talking about the Kyle Wilson one, he's like, here's what I'm going to say tomorrow. It's like all spur of the moment. I think it's, it's about being a passionate fan. And look, I, I've learned this too. Sometimes your passion leads you to saying things that are ridiculous i mean i i had a rant about the james harden trade because i found out in the moment they traded for him and i didn't like it so sometimes they don't age well but it doesn't matter because it's really how you genuinely feel and i always thought what was crazy is that i grew up listening to joe like like a lot of us did in the overnights is that he would come on hours after a jet loss right so there wasn't a lot of time to to kind of get a night's sleep but with middays he still had a night's sleep and he still had that same passion at 10 a.m you know that could soften up a little bit when you slept for a few hours you thought about it it went through your mind but uh no he he still had that at 10 a.m how was like obviously transitioning right and you know the show has obviously changed and it's you guys have been doing really well and i thought i think i saw the ratings come out uh maybe two or three days ago andrew marshan tweeted them out and how's that change been 
has it been easy to adapt, hard to adapt? Like, how does that chemistry have to change from your perspective? Like, from you, from you, from a personal perspective, obviously, the other host has to, you know, change that for themselves. But has it been easy transition, difficult? How's that all kind of worked out? It's it's been easier than I thought because obviously I'm doing a much different show than Joe and I did. We did a nuts and bolts hardcore sports show, and Craig and I still do, you know, hardcore sports when need be. But there's a lot of other craziness that goes on. Uh, the transition has been easier than I thought. You know, I think at first it was like, wow, this is going to take time to kind of get used to it, but it became natural. You know, we get along well. And, you know, I, I always say to people, they're like, are you different? I said, I'm not different. I'm just talking about other things. Maybe we didn't talk about, like, I'm just, it's a different side of me, but I, I don't feel like I'm any different. I'm the same dude. I was eight months ago. I'm still scoring Met games. You know, I still uh, have my scorebook, you know, that I do. So uh, it's been an easy transition. It's been a fun transition because we're doing a, a very different kind of show than what I did with Joe. And it's, uh, you know, sometimes after 14 years, change can be fun. So it's it's been a lot of fun so far. Yeah, that's that's great. I mean, I listen to you guys. It's, it's been awesome. Congratulations, obviously, on, you know, the winter book and also, the, you know, the, the TV syndication that's starting off soon. I definitely will be watching. And I think a lot of fans are excited. And I think it's good to have, like, you know, like that visual. Because I, I think when they tweet out the clips and we see, like, you know, when – when Craig's doing Craig and you're, you're going on a rant about something with the Mets or I guess maybe the Harden trade, like seeing the actual reaction definitely makes it feel more authentic and really connects with like the listeners and I guess the viewers as well. Oh yeah. I mean, it's, it's not something I'm used to. Craig had a TV thing in the morning. So I, I know that's old hat for him, but for me, it's uh it's going to be weird, but I can definitely understand why that's good for the audience. And uh, we're excited about it. It should be fun. In terms of, uh, you know, obviously we kind of talked a little bit about New York sports, Obviously, Steven's a diehard Knicks fan. I'm a diehard Nets fan. I know you're a huge Nets fan. What are your what would your quick expectations be for both teams at this moment? Because for me, I think the Nets need to at least get to the finals. I don't think they need to, if they're not fully healthy or the Lakers beat them. That's a team that's been together longer. It's LeBron in the finals. You have no idea. I just think they need to get there. I think the same for the Yankees. They just need to get to the World Series to get over that kind of hump. For the Knicks, I think the expectation is probably to win a series. Do you kind of fall in line with that, or do you think the Nets are like title or bust? Because everyone kind of has the different expectation for them. I was at the beginning of the season where you are, where it was, get me to the finals. Just get me out of the East. Lose a hard-fought series to the Lakers. I'll be disappointed. I'll be devastated. But you can't say it's a failure. I think once you make the James Harden trade, everything's changed. I mean, they've given up a ton of draft picks. We don't know how long this core is going to stay, stay together. I mean, they all can be free agents at the end of next year. Uh, I'm not expecting everybody to leave by, by, by any stretch, but, you know, the clock is ticking, plus the age on these guys. So, no, I look at it as they have to win the whole freaking thing. I mean, they have to win an NBA championship because if they don't win a title with this group, sure, it was uh, exciting and there was a lot of relevance, but the whole goal as a fan is to see your team win a championship. So I think for them, to, it's to win a title. I think for the Knicks, Making the real playoffs right now is the goal. And I don't mean to dismiss the playing tournament, but it's not the real playoffs. It's some tournament. And then you better win a game or two. It's like the wild card game in baseball. It basically is. And I don't consider that the playoffs. Like, I don't think the Mets were in the playoffs in 2016. They played a wild card game and lost. So I think for the Knicks, it's to be in the real playoffs. I don't think they have to win a round. I think just being there is such incredible progress, considering they haven't been there since 2013. So I think for them, it's being the real playoffs, give the fans some excitement, something, maybe win a game or two, especially if they're playing a really good team like Milwaukee. Uh, I think those are their expectations now, and they've changed because at the beginning of the season, I would have said, hey, you're on the play-in tournament. That's a wild success. 
Uh, but for the Nets, it's going to an NBA championship. Despite the injuries, despite everything else, that doesn't change that. I mean, they gave up a lot to win a title, and they've got to do it. I know Steve was texting me yesterday. I'm, I'm not as concerned as he is about the injuries, but I do – like slightly I don't love the fact that since Katie's come back and I know they're taking it easy and of course Harden's probably fine and they're just going to push him out longer and the whole nine yards they were with like that with Kyrie with all the stuff going on I'm slightly concerned that every time Katie plays more than two or three games at this point it feels like there's something happens it's a, it's a contusion it's a rolled ankle it's a hamstring it's this that I know the COVID stuff like the he didn't have COVID but he had whatever that was weird. that was yep. that was a weird situation and I think since then, it feels like every time he comes back, right away, it's there's something going on. And I just don't know if, like, I should be – like, I don't want to be concerned, but I don't know how you're not supposed to be a little worried. got to be concerned. I mean, I'm concerned. I mean, he's going to have to stay healthy for two straight months. That's what it's going to take to get through the NBA playoffs, two straight months of being healthy and playing just about every day and playing 38 minutes a night, maybe more. So that is the biggest fear I have. Uh, their inability to defend completely overstated. They played much better defense over the last few months and they don't have to be a top five or top 10 defense. They don't have to be to win. It is health and it's chemistry. They haven't played a lot together. They're going to face adversity in the postseason. How do you handle adversity when you haven't played together? I think that's what killed the Clippers last year. I really do. I think that they were too conservative on when they played Kawhi and when they played Paul George and them playing together. And when they faced adversity, as they were blowing a 3-1 lead, they crumbled. And so chemistry and health are my two biggest fears. But yeah, of course, with KD, you have to be worried. He's coming off a torn Achilles, didn't play for another year. And now it's he does come across as brittle with minor things affecting him. So can he stay healthy for two months? I don't know. I hope so. He better. <laughs> he better i don't want to i don't want to have him and uh Kyrie going at it on you know instagram and james harden in a, in a strip club somewhere throwing <laughs> racks around with little baby i'm good on that yeah i mean for harden i think the biggest thing with him is he's been such an iron man especially going back to his time in houston and obviously this year he wasn't in shape at the beginning of the year and i think that's definitely probably why he is a little more fragile because he wasn't in the shape that he's been in Maybe. plus the age is creeping up a little bit that's that's how i think because it's kind of crazy a guy who wasn't missing time all of a sudden, it's just it's having trouble staying on the floor right now. It's funny when they made the trade. I you know was disappointed in that. I, I rationalized a few things, and one of the things I rationalized the day after was his durability is such a plus. Like, hey, if KD can't stay healthy or Kyrie can't stay healthy, at least we've got James Harden, and that hasn't been the case this year. I mean, his durability now is in major question because of this hamstring that won't go away. He's had three different forms of this hamstring issue, so. It stinks. You know, hopefully he's okay. Hopefully he's ready for the postseason because, man, when he was on the floor, he was unbelievable. He was Jason Kidd on steroids, essentially, in his time as a net when he was out there. I, I wanted to just go back to one thing we talked about a little bit, your favorite episode with Joe. I was curious, two-part two question. One, happiest you've ever been coming in on a, whatever day of the week it was for a show. And then where you felt the most fired up, where you were like, I might lose it and get fired if I don't stop. Like if I don't calm myself down. <laughs> tough question. Now. There's been a lot of good up. And Boy, that's a tough one. Um, I think I was most fired up after they beat the Patriots. Jets Patriots. Because I think that was a very fulfilling win for a lot of reasons. Joe and I and our producer Ernie at the time went to Foxborough for that primetime game six weeks earlier where they got destroyed 45 to three, whatever the score was. The ball. And we got, 
razzed by Patriot fans. So to go back there and beat Tom Brady in his building in the postseason, I couldn't wait to get on the radio the next day. I think from a negative standpoint, boy, probably the Mets losing the World Series game five. Um, I hated Matt Harvey coming out for the ninth inning. I hated Terry Collins keeping him in the game after he issued that leadoff walk to Lorenzo Kane. And, you know, at that point, you're feeling close. You're close to a championship. You're, you know, you win that game. At least you're going back to Kansas City. You never know what happens. So I think losing game five of the World Series, you know, in my time on the air, I haven't had a team in a World Series or an NBA Finals or in the Super Bowl. The Nets were in the NBA Finals before I was on the air. And obviously the Jets haven't smelled the Super Bowl in my lifetime. So I think negatively probably after losing game five to Kansas city. That's, that's fair. I, that my, my brother swear he's a diehard messer and he swears by that game that just like, if Lucas Duda could just not throw like a 12 year old, like he's still like, convinced and the Cespit is dropping game one playing center just totally cost them that. And they blew game four, like they yeah. blew game four too. This, that series should have been tied at two going into game five. So, I mean, in so many ways, they blew that series game one, obviously with the familiar quick pitch, just, a freaking disaster. It's funny because I can only I can only imagine being being able to have a platform at some of these some of these moments because you know because we're playing the Braves last night and I was like going back just watching some of the old Yankee stuff and I'm watching 2001 and I'm just like if I have to watch Luis Gonzalez fist the ball over Derek Peter <laughs> right where you're supposed to be one more time <laughs> I literally almost broke my computer last night I was like this is still mind blowing it's 20 years later had they not. Uh. They stick with us for a long time, those losses, man. They don't go away. I was I was surprised, but I don't think you were on the area, at least at WFAN, the, the, against the Cardinals in the NLCS in 2006. That, for every Met fan I know, that's the toughest loss ever. I, I was on the air doing an overnight that night. So it's up oh, there. That was, that was brutal. <laughs> i tell you why I think 15 bothers me more. Because they were closer. Because it's the World Series. Because... And I'm in the minority because I think if you ask Met fans, 06 versus 15, what bothers them more, they're probably going to say 06. I get it. Best team in the National League, game seven in your own building. And it kills me. I don't want to minimize it. But 2015 kills me more because I really think they could have won that World Series. It was there in front of them. And I love that team. Like that 15, they were based on starting pitching. Jacob DeGrom showing how gutsy he is. Remember what he did in game five against the Dodgers? Just it, the whole story of that season, they look dead until they make the Yoenis trade. Wilmer I mean, Flores crying. Like, I love that 15 team. And that's, I think, why it bothers me more. And uh, Daniel Murphy was basically the second coming of Mickey Mantle. The guy was doing yes. a home run every single game. It was unreal. Yeah. Daniel Murphy turns into Babe Ruth in the postseason. Incredible. I was, I was kind of curious. This is, well, I mean, kind of end, you know, end on this, but it's something that I know everyone kind of makes fun of Francesca now because he said Sam Darnold was going to run the city a couple of years ago and the whole nine yards. But <laughs> if I gave you the option of who's going to be the biggest star in New York, because Eli, I guess for a while, just by default, once Jeter retired, Eli became kind of probably the most famous athlete in New York. If you had to go between, I would say judge probably the face of the Yankees at this point, Lindor or DeGrom, depending upon, you know, position players usually have more of a face. I guess Daniel Jones and Zach Wilson probably are the two, I mean, Saquon, but, who would you say is most likely to be the next face of New York sports? Is it because I feel like it's probably judge right now, just based on. Well, six, seven, it's tough. It, it's tough because Jacob DeGrom is far and away better than all of them. Like no, he's the, best, he's the best pitcher I've ever seen since Pedro. Yeah. I mean, he's on his way to a hall of fame career, so it should be him. But I think his personality, the fact he's a starting pitcher, he doesn't get that same kind of attention. I think quarterback in New York 
you know, you're going to be elevated. I won't say judge only because I'm not convinced the Met, uh, the Yankees are going to re-sign him in another year. Oh, I'm not either. I think he could get, he, if he, if he gets, gets hurt this year, I don't know. There's no way you can confidently re-sign a guy that's played yeah. 50 games a year for four years. That's why, like, I wouldn't even say Aaron Judge. I think it's one of the New York quarterbacks. Jake's better than everybody, but like we said, just his personality doesn't get that same attention. I, I mean, it is what it is. Um, I'll be biased and say Zach Wilson because he's going to have more of a personality than Daniel Jones. And if you are the quarterback of the New York Jets and you actually become a franchise quarterback, something we haven't seen, we weren't around for Joe Namath, you'd have to think that guy owns this city on a, on a huge level. <laughs> I, would, I would say yes. But, you know, I'm not going to say Randall, but if someone on the Knicks really emerges, that guy, sure. like Pat, Pat Ewing, and he was, he was the man. I mean, in the 90s, I, mean, I guess him and Jeter for that, for that better. But, like, I just think that, yeah, like you said, Wilson is, would be the guy for me also. Yeah, I, I just think that the Yankees, unfortunately, Yankees, I mean, for me, unfortunately, the Knicks and the Yankees, but they're the two teams when they're good. The this, this city goes crazy for those two franchises most. Yeah. But – the Jets, when they're good, like, I know he, Sanchez was not end up being a franchise guy, and I get it, but in 2009, 2010, he, if Sanchez walks in anywhere, anywhere in New York City, people are immediately like, this dude's the man, because the lack, bad. it doesn't matter. The, the lack of winning matters, and I think that helps the Knicks, too. Like, there is something, our generation's never seen them win. You know, we've seen the Yankees win. Uh, we've seen it happen a bunch of times. We've seen the Giants win. That's why a New York Jets or a New York Knicks and even a Mets parade, I think, would outdraw a Giants or Yankees parade. Not because they're more popular, not suggesting that, but because there's more desperation from the fans to actually see one of their teams win. <laughs> That's true. One last question. Of all the teams you root for, who's the one that you want to see win most? I said the Mets. My friend says you like the Nets more. I said definitely Mets, right? No, 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 no. You're right. It's the Mets. The Mets are my first love. I think, like, there's a perception that the Nets are, are number one because there's no other Net fan. Just like I always got this perception that the Jets are behind the Nets. Well, yeah, because my partner was Joe Beningo, who's the number one Jets fan. I've always said this. The Mets are number one. The Jets and Nets are essentially like a tie for a close second. You know, baseball is my first love. It got me into sports. So there's always going to be that, that bias towards it. It's my favorite sport. But it's all very, very close. But perception is key because there's no other Net fan in, like, media. It's like, oh, the Nets are number one. Yeah, I want them to win. Trust me, if any of those three teams win a championship, I may dance naked. Like, I'll be beyond <laughs> excited. But if that out. to hold you to that, I might have to clip that and, and throw it up when you uh... – you know, that's when this year. Let's see it actually happen first. All right. I, you know, I, I run into skepticism. I'm, I'm never going to see it happen, but you know, let it happen and then we'll figure it out. <laughs> Mushnick will write about that in the post if we put that out there. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, uh, we obviously really appreciate you coming on. And I, I think that, you know, people who don't, you know, listen to the show, make sure you listen to the show. And if you do continue to, you know, stay tuned in as things kind of continue to evolve. And, you know, who, here's Hanukkah hoping that. Um, you know, we can start to see some more winning and, and I think it makes my job and Steven's job easier. It definitely makes your job a lot easier. I think it, it'll just be good for, it's been a brutal year as a New Yorker in 2020. And I'd, I'd like to think that, like I said, that excitement, even if it's maybe false optimism, it's fun right now to be like the Jets are drafting a superstar qu potential quarterback and the Knicks are good and the Nets are good. And like, Yankees and Mets should be, I don't know, I think it's fun. So I, we obviously appreciate coming on and actually give Evan a follow on Twitter as well if, uh, if you're not doing so already. Thank you. I appreciate it, guys. Let's hope this is the year we've all been waiting for.
<laughs> definitely Real quick uh turn of the jets live launches on 512 on youtube and we'll definitely be reposting that stuff across all of our social platforms so just wanted to put that plug out there as well